Tony Evans says, you are the one. You are the one. You are the one. What does he mean by that? You are the one that has the power of the living God that resides in and through you. So do you believe it? Do you want it? Then we have to understand this spiritual realm that Tony Evans was speaking about drives everything. When I was about in the second grade, I started having these dreams. They were dreams of flying, right? So every, every night I'd go to bed and all of a sudden, in my dreams, I would be soaring over lakes right above the water. I'd be soaring up over the mountaintops right above the pine trees. And I could hear the wind whistle by as I went by the pine trees. I'd be soaring above houses and going in and out of windows. And I was, I was living the dream. I always wanted to fly. And for a brief moment during my dreams, I was finally doing it. I was flying. And then I was a big Star Wars fan. I loved Han Solo. I loved Luke Skywalker. And I always wanted to fly in their spaceships with them and soar in the outer space and, and be relevant in my mind because I had the power to fly. And that led me a few years later when I was in college after life had just torn me down to write these lyrics. Many days have passed since the last time I dreamed. Bigger than what lies behind my scars and black eyes. What happened to my childhood days when I defeated the Death Star? I joined forces with Han Solo and I thought I could fly. I dreamed bigger than I could fear. I feared less than I, but my body cared. A dreamer dreams. A dreamer's dream. Somewhere along the lines, I think for most of us, that dream that we have of flying or whatever God wants us, to, designs us to do in life, vanishes because of the scars and the baggage and what we will see later on of some lies that we've been told. At about that same time, during having these dreams of flying, I'd also go to bed at night and have one of these recurring, recurring dreams. I would be in the bathroom at my elementary school or my middle school, and all of a sudden I look down in the bathroom and I have no pants on. Has anybody had one of those dreams? Completely different than the flying dream because I spent the majority of this dream cowarding in the stall in the bathroom because I did not want to go out to class because what? I had no pants on. And this dream would always reoccur and reoccur and reoccur and I'm always stuck in the same stall with no pants on. It was miserable. And then later on in college, I used to have this reoccurring dream. I went to the University of Mary Hardin Baylor, and we had a, the quad. It was the, kind of the outdoor area between all the, the dormitories and the, the chapel. And I would be in this dream, I'd be walking down the quad, and 
someone would come up to me. It's always the same person. I don't know who this person was, but it was always the same person. And they would make this statement to me. Are you ready for your calculus test? What calculus test? The test we have today at 2 p.m. Are you ready for the calculus test? And I would go, I don't even know I had calculus. And they would make this statement. They would reply, you better be ready because you have to pass the test in order to graduate. And that dream, every single evening I would go to bed and it would start over from the beginning. I'm walking across the quad and the same person would come up to me, ask the same question. And I would go, what calculus test? I'm not taking calculus. And it was a reoccurring dream, a nightmare for me. And when I finally had to take calculus, it was the same nightmare. You know, that was a particular dream of being unprepared. <laughs> what calculus? It was being clueless, oblivious. That dream is a reality for, for many people, I think. It has been for me in the past, and I think it's the, the reality for some other people. It's when, not when it comes to taking a test in school, but when, when it comes to the spiritual warfare, the spiritual realm that lives among us. And they're oblivious. We're clueless. We don't know about the spiritual warfare that the Bible talks about. They say, we say, I say, or have said, what is that? You're talking about warfare. What is that? What war? You're talking about the war that we've had in Afghanistan, the war in Iraq, the war with on terror, on ISIS? What is this spiritual warfare that you're talking about? There's a quote that I've heard many times in our country that says this. Eternal, eternal vigilance is the price of freedom. We remember from Pearl Harbor what it's like to get caught off guard. You see, the enemy can be so deceptive. Japan's peace envoys were seated at the negotiating table at the very moment the attack on Pearl Harbor was launched. Our country depends on a strong defense, on being watchful so we are not surprised by a sneak attack, and on being powerful so that we are prepared to fight when we have to. The same holds true for us in this spiritual realm. Also on April 28, 1944, during World War II, Allied soldiers were engaged in Operation Tiger, a training exercise in amphibious beach landings in preparation for D-Day, for the D-Day invasion of Normandy. Suddenly, enemy gunboats appeared and killed over 700 American servicemen in a surprise attack. Today, a monument stands on Slapton Sands to commemorate the sacrifice of those young men who died while training for battle but, will ne but were never, never able to enter the conflict because they were surprised. That tragedy is a picture that warns the believer in Christ. We too are in involved in combat with an enemy who is powerful and deceptive. I believe that is why the Apostle Peter, Peter warned in 1 Peter 5, 8. He said, be sober, be vigilant, 
Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, lion seeking whom he may devour. See, strong confidence in God does not justify carelessness or laziness. We still have an enemy, and we need to still be on alert. One reason we have trouble and persecutions in this world is because that we have an enemy. Not always, but sometimes because we have an enemy. Peter gives us practical lessons so we can stand firm and not be intimidated by our enemy. The first thing I think God calls us all to do is respect him. If you have an enemy, you best respect that enemy. He is dangerous. Satan is dangerous. He's not a joke. He's not a funny picture that someone drew up in their imagination. He's not a little person who sits on your shoulder trying to influence you. He's dangerous. In Jude 9, it says that even Michael the archangel was very careful during during his dispute with Satan. If even the archangel understands Satan's power and schemes, we need to respect him too. Understand that Satan is very, very crafty. So how are we to respect him? And what is he up to? Satan oppresses. Satan literally means adversary. And devil means accuser or slanderer. The picture here is that Satan acts like a lion, circling the flock at night, seeing if there's one sheep that strays away from the security and protection of the shepherd or of the flock. And he's trying to intimidate us. Satan prowls. He's always looking for an opportunity to discourage and catch us off guard and unaware. Peter knows this from experience. You see in Luke 22, verse 31, Christ told Peter that Satan was prowling around looking for an opportunity to get Peter. But Peter wasn't alert. He fell asleep instead of praying. Peter woke up and acted impulsively and cut a man's ear off. Then Peter wilted. He cowered in the corner just like I did in the bathroom stall. He denied Christ. Satan's prowling. He's always active. Respect him. He's dangerous. And finally, he wants to devour I've heard some preachers want to characterize Satan as a toothless lion that can only roar but cannot harm you. To me, that kind of preaching is also dangerous because Satan does not just want to scare us. He wants to destroy us. You, me. He wants to devour us. Together we need to realize we have an enemy. You see, the devil is not a mythical creature. He is real. You see, God did not create the devil. 
God did not create the devil. And you're saying, wait a minute, Chris, but the devil exists, so God had to create the devil. No, God created an angel. You see, he created a myriad of angels. But the top angel was named Lucifer, which means light bearer. Lucifer also had a musical quality about him. But Lucifer questioned why he was just a conduit of praise to God. And Lucifer wanted to take praise for himself, so he rebelled against God. And we see in Isaiah 14, Lucifer says five times, I will ascend to the heavens. I will, I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of assembly. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. <laughs> and God says, oh, no, you will not. And God banished him. The star of the morning now became Satan, the father of night, who was once the light bearer, which is what Lucifer's name meant. And when he fell, he took one-third of the angels with him, and we know them as demons. Satan is now king of the demons. You will never win the battle if you do not acknowledge Satan exists and his demons exist. C.S. Lewis said, Satan's cleverest trick is to convince the world that he does not exist. Satan is real. Satan is powerful. The Bible compares him to a lion. A lion is a 400 to 450 pound beast on average. And there's even been accounts of some lions reaching 700 pounds. A lion runs 35 miles per hour and leaps 30 feet into the air. A lion is five times more powerful than any human could ever dream of being. Lions can hear one mile and can take prey down three times their size. Satan wants to devour you. Second Peter, it said, all angelic hosts, Satan was an angel, all angelic hosts are greater in might and powerful than man. In Mark 5, 2, it says, because he is powerful, be awake, be alert. However, no need to be afraid. Because he is no match for God Almighty. All I have to do, all we have to do is stand in him and be strong in the Lord. The devil is no match for Jesus Christ. On our own and on our own devices and through our own devices, Satan will make minced meat out of us. He will devour us. The devil is powerful. Be alert. Be sober. The devil is real. 
For those that know me, know I'm a huge sports fanatic. Baseball used to be my favorite sport until about the past five, six years, and hockey has risen to be what I come to love and enjoy, whether it's on TV or in person. But I always follow baseball. I'm a huge Texas Ranger fan. So about a week ago, I was, missed the Texas Ranger game, so I was turning on ESPN to see, hopefully catch some highlights of the game. And the Atlanta Braves highlights came on, and the Atlanta Braves have a little gimmick that they do during one of the half innings, between innings, where they ask one of the fans to come out of the stands, and they race uh, this guy named the Freeze, and the guy, the Freeze is dressed up in this outfit, and uh, what, what the gimmick is, is if you can beat the Freeze, you win this huge prize, and so a uh, guy comes out of the stand, and uh, what the video you're about to see, I think, sums up my next point that I'm about to get to about Satan. So let's take a look at this video. If you heard the announcer right at the very end say, that's where he belongs, right in the dirt. That's where he belongs, right in the dirt. That's where Satan thinks you belong, where I belong, right in the dirt. You see, the freeze has never lost. No matter what competition they put up against the freeze, he has never lost. He's a former Olympic athlete as a sprinter. He has never lost. The guy, the fan, obviously did not know his opponent did not research his opponent, did not recognize him as his opponent, and started celebrating way too soon because he thought his own power and willpower and his own device was good enough to beat the freeze. He ate dirt. When we do not recognize Satan for Satan, Satan will look at us and say, eat dirt. That's what you deserve. In 2 Corinthians 2.1, it says that we need to be careful so that no advantage be taken on us by Satan. For we are not ignorant of his schemes. Do not be like that fan and be ignorant of his schemes. As in any sport, you must know your opponent. The best team is the most well-prepared team. The team whose coach Scouts the opponents, the well-prepared coach profiles every player, watches game film, understands even the stadium that they're going to play in, or the lighting of the basketball court. The same is true of every Christian. Before we can be victorious here on earth, we must know the enemy, and this will allow us to prepare our lives for battle. We always want to tell people to put on the full armor of God, but a soldier in battle armor without knowledge of the enemy is still not prepared for battle. Let me say that again. A soldier who has put on his battle armor but does, but does not know his enemy is not prepared for battle. We always want to tell people to put on that full armor of God, but you have to know the opponent. 
I am not telling you to spend an enormous amount of time studying the ins and out depths of Satan. But what I am telling you to do is you have to recognize who he is and how he works. I would rather you study Christ, but you need to know what, it, what he is like, Satan, Lucifer, in order to prepare yourself to resist him. In 1 Corinthians eleven fourteen, it says that Satan is so crafty that he even appears as a good angel, still as an angel of light. John 8, 44 says that he is a deceiver, a liar, the father of lies. Revelation 12 tells us that there was a war in heaven. Satan lost and was kicked out of heaven, and the third of the angels who had rebelled were also kicked out. That the enemy we are facing, Satan, has help. He has demons. They want to scare us, discourage us, and attack us. We have to recognize that the war we face is not a little skirmish like missing a car payment or walking down a dark street at night or not knowing where your next money is going to come from to pay for a bill. Our battles go much deeper than that. Satan wants to attack your faith. He wants to destroy your reputation. He wants to disrupt your happiness. And then in 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5, it says that he wants to attack our confidence in God. He attacks our thinking processes. He attacks our desire to obey Christ. Those are not earthly battles. Those are spiritual battles. And then in Ephesians 6.10, our battle is not a fleshy one, but against spiritual forces of wickedness and high places. While I do not see Satan behind everything bad that happens, he is still very, very active. We live in a sin-filled world dominated by sin-filled people. But, but when bad stuff happens or gets worse and the persecution gets overwhelming, you can be sure that Satan is prowling around somewhere in your life. Recognize who he is and what he is up to. By knowing what Satan does, you can put on your armor of God and stand firm against him. I have had this message planned for about three months even before I made the decision to resign here at Grace in the next few weeks. And for those of you who know, I've made a decision where I think God is leading me to go into law enforcement, and I'm pursuing that with every, my whole being. But I will tell you, over this past month, I have been in the darkest depression, the darkest spot that I have ever been in, because on this road that God calls us on, this journey to walk hand in hand with him, he never said it will be easy. And when he called me and he said, step away from your comfort, step away from your giftedness, step away from where you've been doing and leading and, and growing for 17 years and step away to, from that into something where you're going to have to start all over, it's scary. And I have started to tell myself, I have no value 
I have no worth. It is not worth it. I walk in the front door and look at my kids, and in three weeks I go, how am I going to even pay to put food on their table? Because I don't even have a job yet. In those times that we say that I am on the path with you, God, is where Satan's going to be prowling around, waiting for you to say, if you think you can do it in your own devices, Chris, if you think you're going to get that law enforcement job in your own will and own power and not rely on God's timing, I'm going to wait around in the weeds to devour your confidence, to devour your, your ego, to devour your, your confidence in Christ Jesus, and I'm going to destroy you. I'm going to make you go into the dark places. I'm going to make you doubt your decision. I'm going to make you doubt who you are so you can't even look at your family's face anymore. You think your wife is going, I want to marry someone else because you can't even take care of your family. That is the lies that Satan is telling me. And those same lies he's telling to you. I can't get over alcohol because it has a hold on me. That's a lie. I can't get over drug abuse because it has a hold on me. That is a lie. I can't love my wife because I cheated on her 10 years ago. That is a lie. And Satan is waiting around for you to finally say, God, that's it. I, haven't, I don't have faith in you any longer. And Satan's going to say, I am yours now, and I'm going to devour you and destroy you, and I will win. In those moments where you say, God, I am yours, Satan is still going to wait around. And I've had to fought, fight the lies that he's been telling me for the past month. And I share all of that with you because I know there's people in this room fighting the same fight. Telling yourself you're not worth it. Telling yourself you are not the one when God himself has the power in you to defeat Satan himself. Quit telling yourself you're not worth it and you're worthless because you have God the Father residing in you. Recognize not only the devil, but recognize the power in you. And finally, what I've had been having to do for the past month <laughs> is resist him. You see, resist him does not equal attack him. I can't attack the devil. Nowhere are Christians told to rebuke Satan. We don't have that authority. It was only given to the apostles. We don't have that power to rebuke Satan. He's stronger than us. We read it in the scriptures. The angels are stronger than us. Lucifer's an angel. He's stronger than me. And his demons are here with us, fighting alongside him. They're angels as well, and they're stronger than me. So resist him does not equal attack him. Resist him does not equal bind him. That's not in Scripture either. Except in Revelations 21, 1 through 3, where an angel from heaven 
comes down and binds Satan and throws him into the abyss. It was an angel that did that. Resist him does not equal mock him or belittle him. Remember, respect your adversary. He's dangerous. It is dangerous when we belittle Satan and make him less powerful and less dangerous than he really is. We are minimizing his ability to come after us. So stand firm (laughs) equals resisting him. So grab your weapons, the armor of God, and stand your ground. God, this journey is not easy. But you have called me into a, into a journey that is going to be hard. And I do not know the outcome right now, but I am willing to walk hand in hand with you and let you lead me. Stand your ground with God. Ephesians 6, 10, 13. It says, stand, withstand, <laughs> and stand again. James 4, 7, submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Stand firm equals resist him. Stand firm equals resist him. And then in 1 Peter 5, verses 9 and 10, it says this about resisting Satan. But resist him, firm in your faith knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. You are the one that God has called. You. Everyone in this room, you are the one that God has called to have his power revealed. In your sufferings, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Just as the key to submitting God is faith, the key to standing fast against Satan's attacks is also faith. Remember Luke 22. Christ told Peter, Satan has demanded to be able to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. But why faith? Because that is what Satan wants to attack. He wants to dilute our confidence in God. He wants to doubt God's intentions, God's plans, and God's goodness. He, he attacks our faith. In the context of suffering, Satan will try to convince you that God doesn't care, that God can't get you through the tough times. And as in verse 9 suggests, that God isn't strong enough to deliver you out of the difficulties 
Satan will say to you because he has said to me repeatedly over the past month, this is how God treats his people and you want to follow him? That is a lie. God wants you to stand strong in your faith. You can stand firm because others are standing firm with you. And what does that look like? That looks like someone without even knowledge of what I'm going through in this internal struggle. Dropping a handmade coffee mug on my desk with a note that says, you are going to do great things in this world because Christ is in you. That is standing firm with your brothers and sisters and going through with this battle that we are up against. I'm going to ask you to do something with me. If you could stand with me for a moment. And as a congregation, I'm just going to ask you to take each other's hands. I know it may be a little awkward, but please take each other's hands. And just raise them up like this. And just hold them there as I read this. The lies that Satan says are this. God has left you alone. You are alone. You are only going through the kind of trouble you're experiencing because you are alone and you're in trouble. But Peter and the Lord says this, you are not alone. Christian brothers all over the world and in this church community, in this bride of Christ, are all going through similar trials. That pity party is from the devil. It's not from me, Christ Jesus. That self-pity is wrong. And then in Hebrews 11, you'll see that other people went through all kinds of trouble, but by faith, they made it. These people that you're holding hands with are standing firm with you, rather, if they, even if you don't hear it verbally or not, we are standing firm with you. If you're going through alcohol problems, if you're going through changes of career, if you're going through trying to find a job, if you're going through a divorce, whatever it may be, there's an army of people standing with you and standing firm, and the devil will not defeat you because we are fighting with you. And it says this in verse 10. Have faith that God is still working his plans and purposes. The same circumstances that Satan wants to use to discourage and defeat you are the same circumstances that God is using to develop you. Have faith that God is working. You can put your hands down. And you can have a seat. And Peter concludes with this, these words of encouragement. He says in verse 10, We are dealing with the God of all grace, the God of all resource, all adequacy, all provision. This is like fanfare, building in intensity and volume, in enthusiasm. If it were a choir or an orchestra music, there, will, there would be a need for a great crescendo, a, tympan, a timpani rolling. It would be getting louder and fuller and stronger. It's hope that we hang on to. You are not alone. 
The promises in verse 10 tell us that God will do four things as we go through times of suffering. We will go through four things. Four things. The first thing Peter says is that God will restore us. God is restoring me. God will restore you. So say that with me because you can't internalize it and truly believe it and have faith in God if you can't say it and shout it from the mountaintops. So do you believe that God will restore you? Say that with me. God will restore us. God will restore us. God will restore us. And the second thing is, Peter says that God will establish us. Do you believe that? God, say that with me. God will establish us. The third thing that Peter says is God will strengthen us. God will strengthen us. Say that with me. God will strengthen us. And then finally it says, God will settle us. He will settle us. He uses this architectural term in Greek. It means to lay a foundation for a building. Suffering will drive us to the bedrock of our faith to our foundation, which Jesus himself. In suffering, we figure out what's superficial in life, what's unnecessary. We're stripped of all the excess baggage and driven to the one thing we can really build our lives on and through, Jesus Christ himself. I want to close with this. I think it is interesting that Peter builds this entire book <laughs> to a great crescendo. The choir's at forte volume. The timpani is rolling. The trumpets are blaring. And everything stops. And he says this in verse 11. To him, God the Father, be dominion over me, over us, forever and ever and ever. You see, you, me, us, have the power of Christ Jesus, God our Father, that resides in us. You are the one. Who in Christ and in Christ alone, because you cannot do it, we have no power to defeat him on our own. Who in Christ has the victory in a war. God has already won. So throw away the lies and celebrate the victory. Because God has won. You pray with me? The Lord, thank you for an awesome morning of worship. Thank you for an awesome opportunity to study your scripture. Lord, I do think it is important for us to understand our adversary, to understand the, the being in the spiritual realm that wants to destroy us, wants to devour us, the angel that went against you and that you banished because he has no authority over you, Lord. So, Lord, in all of our lives, 
when Satan's lies are very audible and very clear in our ears and we're fighting the temptation to go about life in our own thoughts and devices and in our own strength and energy and passion and whatever it may be. Lord, we will stand firm in you, in Christ Jesus, because you and you alone have the power that has already defeated the adversary. Lord, we will stand firm with our brothers and sisters and children of God as a church community. We will not let dissension destroy a church community. We will not let our petty differences destroy a church community. We will not let sheep be on the outside of a flock because we read in scriptures over and over again the evil one is waiting in the wings like a lion waiting to devour that person who is alone. Lord, we do not want any of your children to be minced meat. <laughs> so with that, we want to stand and sing. We want your spirit to move. Lord, we want to fly and soar above the ocean. We want to do great and powerful things in your name and through your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. As we leave, if you would stand up with me, I just want you to sing these words. Spirit, lead me. Sing that with me. Here we go. Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. Let me walk upon the waters wherever you would call me. Take me deeper than my feet could ever wander. And my faith will be made stronger. In the presence of my Savior, Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. Let me walk upon the waters wherever you would call me. Take me deeper than my feet could ever wander. My faith could be made stronger in the presence of my Savior. Sing this with me and I will call. And I will call upon your name. Keep my eyes above the Oceans rise, soul will rest in your embrace. I am yours, you are mine. Let's sing that one more time. I will call. And I will call upon your Keep my eyes above the waves. When oceans rise, my soul will rest in your embrace. I am yours, and you are mine.
ask that our prayer team just make your way to the sides of the room. And if you have something that God stirred in your heart this morning, if you have something that you just want the, the church community to know about, so we can stand firm together with our hands interlocked and our arms raised and lift up the power that we have in Jesus' name to pray over you. Just come to one of the prayer team members and we will do that. But I just want to encourage you guys that we have won the victory and we have victory in Christ Jesus already. And everyone in this room, including myself and Allison, anybody you see is standing firm with you and you are not alone. You are not alone. You are not alone. You guys have a wonderful, wonderful Father's Day. And God bless you.